It's the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you as always. Jerry, how are you on this evening? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are the Rushcast. Email Jerry, the Rushcast at gmail.com. He loves getting your emails. We love getting the bass intro from Lex. It was another fabulous one today. He is he's outstanding. He is. He is. But yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to say. I don't know why I'm I shouldn't even have spoken. You shouldn't have spoken. We've got a Twitter poll for you, Jer, today. You ready for this one? Yeah, I am. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the live albums. We did Exit Stage Left, All the World's a Stage, A Show of Hands, Back mm-hmm. to Back to Back. Yep. I asked the Twitter verse, which of these three live albums is their favorite? What did they say? Exit Stage Left. Exit Stage Left, one in a landslide. Oh, okay. 61% chose Exit Stage Left. And I don't think that's surprising. No, it's not surprising at all. All the world's a stage came in second, 21%. A show of hands brought up the rear, 18%. But as we said, all three of those records are, are fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, but you know, the exit stage left is what people consider, I guess, Rush's sweet spot, early 80s. So, yep. And a lot of fans entry point to Rush. And that's what people get nostalgic about. Yep. The period where they got into Rush. Yep. It's a big area for that. It is. Yeah. So, Jerry, you got an email for us? I do. I have an email from Melanie. Hey, Melanie. And Melanie runs the Instagram account Rush Girls Rock. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So, if anybody wants to go follow that, if you don't already, it's rush.girls.rock. Nice. That's cool. So, she says, I was planning on reaching out to you to let you know how much I enjoy the podcast. I don't know what I love more, the well-researched interviews which as a journalist I can appreciate, or the witty banter that only two lifelong friends can have. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Say something witty, Steve. I have nothing. (laughs) You guys sound like you'd be a lot of fun to hang out with. If you're ever in New Hampshire, I'll buy you lunch. Wow, look at this. We're getting lunch from everybody. This is awesome. Now we just need this pandemic to go away so we can actually go meet people. Yeah, we'll go claim those lunches. (laughs) She says, I was introduced in college to Rush by my then boyfriend. He wanted to buy me a ticket for me to go with him and his friends to see a show on the Counterparts Tour in 1994. At the time, I was a heavy metal chick who loved Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and was just getting into Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. My boyfriend played Farewell to Kings and Hemispheres for me to try and sway me. But admittedly, at the time, I just didn't get it. But he was cute and insistent. So I said I'd go. I remember waiting in line with him at the ticket window the day before the tickets went on sale to get our wristbands so we could get better seats the following day, which is something we did too. Oh, absolutely. On that cold, wet winter day, I thought, this better be worth it. And it certainly was. That show was the beginning of a lifelong appreciation for the band, which culminated in me starting an Instagram fan account this year to honor the band and to remember Neil. That would be the aforementioned Rush Girls Rock. Yes. Neil's death really affected me, not only as a Rush fan, but as a writer and editor who looked up to him as a literary hero. Reading his book, The Ghost Rider, was life-changing. His lyrics and words have gotten me through some really tough times throughout my life, including the past three months in which my mom unexpectedly died, and I was told that the magazine that I'm the editor at is shutting down. But he was a survivor, and I am too, as was my grandfather. My grandfather was held in concentration camps, including Dachau, and Auschwitz for several years until the liberation in 1945. I very much appreciate the reverence you paid to the song Red Sector A 
when discussing grace under pressure. I think it's important that we not forget the atrocities. Thanks for all you do and for prompting me to write my first fan letter that I've written in probably 30 years. Melanie. Wow. Thanks, Melanie. That, that was a great email. And so sorry for the loss of your mom. And are you still dating that cute guy? <laughs> no, yeah, we'll look for an update. But you know, it's, it's, she uh, tags us in like every post every day and every morning when I go on Instagram, I look to see if she's tagged us and then I immediately put it to our story. So that's always fun. Well, that's great. Yeah. And I love getting emails from female Rush fans because sometimes I wonder if our witty banter is just a guy thing, you know, only guys <laughs> get it or want to listen, but female fans listen to it. I, I love that. Yeah. I guess it doesn't help that we're, uh, oh, forget me. <laughs> I, I think I think I think Steve that women uh, can engage in witty banter too. So I think they like it. No, but what I'm getting at is we're not saying stuff that's going to piss off women. Oh God, I hope not. Right. Well, you know, some guys do that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's been a problem for a long time. Yes. Yes. But we're not those guys. Should I answer? No, we're not. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. We've got a great guest today, Jar on the Rush Fancast. He's the author of the new book, Dreamers and Misfits, the definitive book about Rush fans. Alex Helene, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Hey Steve, hey Jerry. Uh, glad to be here. So Alex, why don't we start out by asking you your Rush origin story? When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Sure. Um it's not the most brilliant story, but I, I would hear them on the radio probably the first time I was about 10 or 12 and um, listening in the car with my brother and my dad to Tom Sawyer and my dad who was a big classic rock fan never really got into Prague and was uh, you know his, his take on Rush you know Rush you either love or you hate them and he couldn't stand them I can't stand that voice oh, that keyboard part just drives me nuts um, and it wasn't until some years later I heard Limelight on the radio and I was uh, I just started playing bass guitar at that point. Um, so I would have been about 14 years old and I was just mesmerized, uh, cause it came in on the radio. I remember I was with my mom in the car waiting for my sister uh, after school and it came in right before the guitar solo. And you can really hear Getty's bass tone and just the whole section, the whole, that whole guitar solo until the end of the song just blew me away. And then in typical 14 year old kid fashion, I just didn't think about it until, um, I got a bit older and I decided to buy moving pictures. I was like, you know, I, I keep hearing these songs on the radio. I keep hearing about this Getty Lee guy. He's a really good bass player. Maybe I should buy the album that everybody I ask tells me I ought to buy. So I bought moving pictures when I was 17. I put it in my car and I was just blown away. I mean, um, you know, it, that album came out the year I was born and I listen to it now and it still sounds like the music of the future. Like that's what, we all thought the, you know, the integration of man and machine playing music together would be, it, it was, it just blew me away. And from that point on, I mean, I never looked back. It was just buying every album I could, saving up the money. Um, when I could finally see them in concert, it was like, it was just, it was unbelievable. I don't, I don't want to say a religious experience, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was just, it was, it was special. And I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing I still get chills thinking about. Uh, when I first saw them in concert, you know, and it was just, I don't know. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's just this, this lifelong connection you make, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. We know exactly what you're talking about. 
Um, so how did you, so you've been a fan for a, a long time. Why this book and why now? Like where, where'd you get the idea for it? How'd you, you know, go about writing it? That is a really good question, especially the why now part, because it was horrible timing on my part. Uh, I started writing the book <laughs> in February. I had the idea right after Neil died. Um, let me, let me back up a bit. So we all have celebrities that we respect, we admire actors, writers, musicians, whatever. And you hear about their death, you're bummed out, crank the tunes, you'll watch the movies they were in or what have you. And then you kind of move on into your life. But when Neil Pierre died at the beginning of the year, it hit me in a way that I never felt any celebrity passing before. I mean, the closest I've ever been to the guy was one of the many thousands of people in a concert. He didn't know I existed, but it really felt like I knew him and it was a strangely difficult celebrity death get over. And they're talking about this with my brother a lot too, because I turned him into being a fan after I got into the band heavily. And we were both talking about, it's, it's so weird. Like, why do we care so much? It, it, it almost doesn't feel real. Like we, we both felt honest, genuine sadness when we heard that he died. And so I just couldn't stop thinking about why that was. What is it about this particular, I mean, other people that I've admired have died, other celebrities, you know, popular, whomever artists, but nothing hit me like this. So I just started looking into it on the net, reading other people's reactions. Uh, you know, I wrote a, a piece on my website about Neil and what Rush's music and Neil in particular meant to me. And I would see all these other pieces people wrote. And it was unbelievable how similar the sentiments were. So I just, it just sort of snowballed from there in, in my head. Like I couldn't let the idea go. What is it about Neil Peart? What is it about Rush in general that inspires this kind of devotion, this kind of connection between the band and the audience? And I just had this crazy idea. I was like, I'm going to, you know, I, I read an article that Donna Halper wrote in the uh, Quincy Patriot Ledger. And I didn't realize all these years, you think I would have realized that she was a New Englander. Um, so I'm in Massachusetts as well. I grew up in New Hampshire and I live in Mass with my family. Um, lifelong New Englanders. And I, I never realized Donna was also. I just assumed she was from the Midwest, considering she, you know, her history with the band at the uh, radio station in Cleveland. So I was like, um, all right. So, and she teaches at a college. Um, I forgot the name of the college, but she teaches at a college outside of Boston. So I looked her up and I just shot her an email. Hey, I didn't really have much written at the time, but I just said, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, I'd like to write a book about Rush and Neil Peart. I, I asked her, I said, I'm not trying to be ghoulish. I just think, you know, I'd love to explore this connection and wondering if you need a time for a chat. And she, she was really cool about it. She wrote back, oh, I love, I'm always up to talk to people about Rush. You know, I did a interview here. Did you read that article? But, you know, get, let's work out a time to call. So back in February, I had a nice conversation with Donna, which was really cool because, you know, being a, a fan, I knew her part in the story and, and also her getting them on the Walk of Fame and all that other sort of thing. Really great lady, you know, really gracious with her time chatted with me for about 45 minutes an hour or something like that. We made plans to, you know, try to get together for a coffee or, or for lunch or something. Cause she came out to my area a lot, but unfortunately the, the coronavirus lockdowns hit and nobody really wanted to, to travel. And I understood that. So we still haven't you know, met face to face, but from that interview, it just kind of snowballed from there. And I did just a lot of research about the band. I, I you know, I, I watched documentaries about them. 
read some books, mostly articles and interviews with the band. I, I don't have tons of time to just read an entire, an entire book lately. Interviewed other people. I, I spoke to uh, Ed Stenger. I shot him an email from the rushesofband.com blog, a great site that I've been reading myself for, I don't know, a dozen years or something like that. Talked to him. I put out a survey to solicit fan responses and feedback about you know, some demographic info that I, I didn't share, like, oh, this person is X age, this race, this politics, whatever. But I was just trying to get a feel and you know, get stories. I got 650, 660-something responses back, which is really cool. And I used those in the book. And um, you know, that, was, that was the impetus for it. I wanted to, to look at what it was about the band that connected with fans and was there a certain, and this was more of the fun part as opposed to the more you know, poignant part, but was there a certain type of person that was your stereotypical Rush fan? You know, we've all heard it's all you know, nerdy, geeky guys who play Dungeons and Dragons and live in their mother's basement, whatever, um, which, I mean, we all know that's not the case, but it's funny to joke about, and I, I have a whole chapter about, you know, the term nerd in the book. But I wanted to look at the fans. I think it's, um, it's kind of a, a phenomenon, the whole Rush fandom. And I just thought it would be an interesting uh, aspect to look at. And I've seen some books that touch on this, but nothing really devoted purely to the fanhood. So that was, that was my very naive, idealistic idea back in February. I figured it'll take me a few months to write this. It's nonfiction. I mean, how hard can it be? And it turned out to be much more uh, labor-intensive than writing actual fiction. But it was a lot of fun. So the, the title of your book, Alex, is Dreamers and Misfits. That's from the, the song Subdivisions. And does that song sum up why fans had that connection with Neil? He was a dreamer and a misfit, and, and so are we really, right? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a huge part of why I picked that line for the title. So many people cited Subdivisions as a song that really got them into the band. I know in the Beyond the Light of Sage documentary, they talked, they talked to a couple of fans, a couple of guys, probably a little bit older than me, who said, like, that's how I grew up. That's how I felt. Um, I certainly, uh, you know, I, I first heard Subdivisions in 1999, I think, and it certainly spoke to me as a teenager more deeply than the stuff that was being made at the time that was geared towards teenagers, you know, and, and that's the impression I got from fan after fan who, who said that that song really resonated with them, is that they felt like a square peg in a round hole, and it wasn't due to any type of cruelty. Um, it wasn't due to, you know, they weren't blaming other people. It was just, you know, this is, this is you know, some people love growing up, say, in, uh, in suburbs or, uh, you know, wherever. Some people are cool with the whole, you know, just go with the crowd. But, but for some people, that's not enough or that's not a good fit for them. And so the song subdivisions and, and the video, too, a lot of people really like the video. It just hit a nerve with so many people. You know, and, and I just thought that that was, that was a great title because, you know, the, the, you know, Getty, Alex and Neil are kind of, I don't want to say out in left field, but they're definitely very unique individuals. And I think that they attract, you know, the herd of independent minds, ha ha ha, but they attract people who are a little bit outside the norm, you know, a little bit left or left the center or whatever, however you want to put it. Um, so I just thought that was a, a perfect, a perfect title. 
Yeah, and that kind of uh, that attitude, you know, the the dreamer and the misfit or whatever, not only comes across in the in the lyrics, but the music too. Like you said, music. You said it was music of the future. You thought it was, and and it's like the music of the future, but it's like the music of the future that fans want, right? I like that. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> it's like something that we we listen to it and we're like, yeah, wherever this place is, that's where I want to be. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. And it was, um, you know, maybe it's just because I, I'm a child. You know, I, I was born in 81. So, you know, I grew up in the 80s and early 90s. But, like, when I think of that sound of, you know, permanent waves, moving pictures, signals, you know, up to Grace Under Pressure, Power Windows, that, like, era, Hold Your Fire, right? I think of vector graphics. I think of, you know, that digital font. And I think of synthesizers like you hear in subdivisions. It's, it's just, like, that, that vibe, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. Like the, the music too. Like, I, you know, I, it's like they mix, you know, those kind of like fuzzy Genesis synthesizers with prog rock, like hard rock, I should say. And it was just, it was just so cool. And, you know, like you said, it's not, I don't think it was for everyone, but I mean, it was for a heck of a lot of people. Let's be honest. So you say in the book, Alex, that Rush are just three regular guys who happen to be amazing musicians. Is that regular guy vibe? Is that the reason? we connect with Rush so much because we're regular guys and so are they. I think that's a huge part of it. You know, there it's, it's weird because, you know, maybe nowadays too, where everything is very polarized, it's, it's very tough to separate the art from the artist. And a lot of times, you know, it could be an athlete, it could be a musician, whatever you think like, Oh, I love the work they do, but I don't agree with them about this or I don't, I don't like the way they live their life or whatever. Or did you hear what so-and-so said? Um, and you know that a lot of, for a lot of people, that's kind of a summing block. But then when you find somebody that maybe, you know, agrees with you and you love the work they do, you have that, that much bigger of a bond. And I think with, with Rush, the interesting thing is, is like, like you said, they, they really just seem like normal guys, like down to earth, everybody that knows them. I mean, Donna certainly told me she's like, what, you know, all the stories you heard about them, you know, not partying and kiss and UFO and whatever bands thought there was something wrong with them because they didn't want to go, you know, go out with groupies. Like that's, that's true. They're just like regular middle-class guys. And if you are, even if you're not of a similar background, but for people who are of a similar background, like not only, I, I think not only is there the, um, that could be the factor, like, wow, that's cool. Like if they can do it, anybody can do it, but also you can almost relate to the normalness more because you're like, Oh, okay. They're regular guys and they can produce art like this. You know, I get it. You, there's not, you know, you don't have to have like a certain artistic temperament. You don't have to have, you know, you don't have to be Keith moon, you know, chucking, you know, TVs from hotels and then driving into swimming pools or whatever. You can be just like a regular guy, love what you do, work at it. And, you know, sometimes the so-called little guy can, you know, can hit it big. And, and, and yeah, I think that's a big part of the appeal. Yeah, you know, one of the things I always loved about Rush when I first got into them is that I didn't know anything about them. You know what I mean? You read these articles, but it was never like, you know, Keith Richards. I mean, how, I mean, when I was 12, I knew all about Keith Richards. My brother was a huge Stones fan, you know, and I was just like, this guy is insane, Keith Richards. And then you read about Rush and it's, you don't get those stories, which is something I loved. Yeah, yeah. They like, you know, Getty Lee likes baseball. You know, there's a funny part in the, uh, that dinner scene at the end of the, um, beyond the lighted stage where Getty says to the camera, he goes, 
you know, boy, or see something like you guys are going to be, I'm so sorry. You're going to see how boring we really are. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you know, that's endearing. That's an endearing quality. So Alex, tell us a little bit about how you acquired these surveys. Where did you solicit these rush fans and where did these surveys come from? After struggling, I was struggling with SurveyMonkey. I just used Google Forms and I came up with a bunch of questions that I thought could get at, you know, was there a Rush fan type? And then also the questions about what the band means to people. You know, why, one of the questions I want to answer in the book is what, why does this band mean so much to so many people? And I put them all on a, you know, it was basically just like an online questionnaire. You know, what's your gender, your age? When did you, what's the first album you heard? Questions like that. How did you, react when you heard about Neil's death, how many tours did you see them on that sort of thing. And I had it on my, on my website and tried to blast it out to as many people as I could on online. But, um, I got in touch with Ed Stenger and let him know about the project. And I didn't even have to ask him. He's like, Oh, that sounds really cool. I'll blast it out. So he tweeted it out. He put it up on the blog and I just got, I mean, I think the first day I got like 300 responses. And I just got fans, mostly from the U.S., but you know, lots from Canada, lots from England, several European fans, um, some from you know Latin America. I didn't really have any fans from from Africa. Um, I think there were a few from Asia and uh, a couple Australians. So like almost, almost hit every continent. And I, you know, over I think I was still getting responses until June. You know, I was hoping to get a thousand, but alas, that wasn't the case. But it was just the answer of my walks of life. I had some, you know, a couple, uh, I had a, an actor, well-known actor, W named W Earl Brown, who huge rush fan. He, he answered my survey. Um, I had, uh, a guy, uh, a, a comic writer, a comedian from the UK. I had a comic book artist, writer, publisher from the U S who Mark Irwin, you guys have had him on your, mm-hmm. on your show. Wasn't able to get a hold of him. I tried to get get in touch with Mark, but you know he he filled out the survey. I had doctors, engineers, mechanics, teachers. I had a, a couple priests. Um, I had a, one of the art. He's, I interviewed him for the book. He was really really gracious. Um, one of the archbishops of the Orthodox Church of America. He was a huge Rush fan. Filled out the survey, so it was a really fascinating cross section. That kind of uh, you know even before I dug into the data too too deeply just looking at the background of people, it, it really, I think put to rest one of the big myths about the fandom that it's all, you know, very homogenous. It's, it's really, you know, very uh, more, more woman than a lot of people would expect when they think rush fan. Yeah. Well, let's, let, let's, uh, if we can, let's try to break it down. What did you learn from all of these surveys? Is there a typical rush fan? Uh, I would say yes, but it's not necessarily on the breakdown that everybody would think. For example, I would say it was a it was a, about a nine more like an eighty nine eleven percent split. So we could say ninety ten ninety men ten women. That's kind of what I expected. Uh, you know, it's mostly white guys. I think the breakdown was about ninety percent white, ten percent you know other other non white races. But again, I'm I was taking data mostly from the United States. Canada, and that's you know, kind of what you'd expect. But from there, it got more varied than the the typical idea of a Rush fan. For example, um, you know, and I mentioned it in the book, there's that meme, you know, Rush, it's Led Zeppelin for uh, one of the atheist libertarians, and 
Most Rush fans politically aren't libertarian. If you look at the breakdown, most fans, it was like 30 some odd percent are considered themselves, you know, Democrat, left, left leaning, however you want to put that. The next biggest contingent was nothing, or I hate politics. I got a lot of answers like that. And then it was, you know, more conservative right of center. And the libertarians, if I'm remembering it, I'm pretty sure the libertarian contingent was only at like 14 or 15% of fans identified as libertarian. I'm just surprising because, you know, Rush has this reputation. It's like most people, oh, you know, you're into like Austrian economics and Ayn Rand and like, oh, you like Rush. Well, most fans are liberal. And then interesting too is that um, it was almost exactly half uh, atheist and religious. I was expecting it to skew more, more atheist. It didn't, you know, atheist agnostic. It didn't. I thought that was interesting. And, um, as far as, you know, the, the hob, you know, being a nerd, a quote unquote nerd, most fans, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the breakdown, but it was true that most fans had some kind of nerdy hobby, whether it was, uh, you know, tabletop gaming and fantasy sci-fi, but, uh, you know, and, and I kind of say it in the book, I mean, like, those things have become so mainstream, is it really, is it really fair to say, like, oh, that's like a nerdy, it's a geeky pastime. I'll leave that up to the reader to decide. <laughs> you assumed that all, all us nerd Rush fans saw Stranger Things. And we did, Right, of right, course. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, whereas I, I haven't, and I, I, I consider myself a nerd. Um, you know, I'm into, like, you know, the D&D and the sci-fi fantasy, but I never, <laughs> I never saw Stranger Things myself. You know, that show was such a popular phenomenon. Like, is it really, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it, it, it's mainstream, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm a, I'm a comic book guy. And certainly when I was a kid, it wasn't cool at all <laughs> to read comic books. But now, you know, of course it's cool. At least the movies are cool. Everybody knows who Thor is. <laughs> Nobody in my high school knew who Thor was. <laughs> they know his secret identity for crying out loud. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I thought it was interesting. A lot of the things you mentioned in the book about nerds, it's me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Devo, and they might be giants. I like both those bands. Yeah. I broke my glasses when I was a kid, just like you did, and I had to tape them. I mean, that's I, awesome. I fit the stereotype. It's funny. It, it, is, it is funny. I mean, they, I think it's safe to say, you know, they're a quote-unquote nerd band. Um, my brother is a, so I'm not a, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. It's my day job. My brother is a, uh, an older brother. He's a chemist, PhD, organic chemist, and he used to laugh because he was like, wow, like every single like engineer, physics major, other chemist I know, he's like, they all love Rush. Whenever we start talking music, like they all love Rush. So we, I was actually expecting more signed people with the, you know, the stereotypical STEM you know, background in my survey. And I didn't see as many as I expected. That doesn't mean they're not there. It just means I didn't see them. But um, yeah, you know, that's, that's another stereotype into tech and in computers and science. And I think there's definitely truth to that. I didn't see overwhelming, uh, of what I guess you could call the institutional nerdery <laughs> in, in, in the survey. But, um, you know, there's definitely, there were definitely a lot of more than the fair share of like, you know, doctors, engineers, you know, computer scientists, uh, things like that, at least who answered my survey. But I think it's, I get the sense that almost everybody, has encountered, you know, that phenomenon that my brother was describing of, you know, like everybody in the science or like tons of people in the science department would be into rush along with like, you know, say Devo or maybe, you know, dream theater or all these, you know, prog rock. Like, I think it's like a, a, a prog rock type almost more so than 
just a rush type, but um, I think, you know, I'm getting kind of far afield here, but I think rush has a bit more crossover appeal than some other prog bands might. That's just my theory. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that we don't have these kind of discussions about other bands, right? We don't wonder who, who the typical Stones fan is or who the typical Who fan is or who the typical anybody fan is. But we're, we're so almost obsessed with Rush and the type of people that are enraptured by what Rush does. And I'm not sure exactly why. Do you have any, any insight on that? Man, that's... That's a deep one, right? It is because it just seems like the, the fandom and just the band, it's like, it's, it's all encompassing. They really did just make a musical world and invite everybody in. I mean, the closest analog I can think of that is, um, I don't know if any, if either of you are, are big fans of Frank Zappa, but he, that's the fandom that I can think of, at least from personal experience. I'm a huge Zappa fan. That is, similar and i think you could probably write a similar do a similar study about frank zappa fans but but you know why why rush why is it so why do we think about this type of stuff so much i almost think it's it's something ineffable like maybe we just can't explain it um i certainly can't explain why i mean i can i wrote a whole book about why you know rush resonates with people and uh i guess to answer (laughs) answer question at the base level i think it's the, the music makes people feel good, but not in a fleeting way. And a big part of that is the music, the melodies, the harmonies. But, and this is one reason I think why Neil's death hit so many people. It's because of his lyrics. You know, he never condescends. He never talks down to anybody. He doesn't blame cast. He doesn't uh, belittle anybody. He's almost like, uh, like an older brother relating his feelings and it feels like a conversation even when you just read his lyrics divorced from the music it almost makes you feel like yeah you know i'm not alone everything's going to be okay i'm not the only person that feels like this and you end up having a good feeling and you know i'm sure you both both of you listen to a lot of other music too we all listen to a lot of other music but we keep coming back to rush for some reason um i can say for myself, there's very few other bands that I get that feeling from, you know, the way I do from Rush. I can be in a bad mood. It doesn't matter what album. I'll put on Presto. I'll put on Caress of Steel. Like, I'll just start singing along, whatever. I'll feel better. Um, I'm having a rough day. I think about the lyrics to, to some songs. I feel better. I mean, at the end of the day, the band makes the listeners feel, it's so cliche, but it makes you feel good. That's my answer. <laughs> The most interesting thing about your survey, you touched on this, was that the religion question was right down the middle. You mentioned you're a Christian and you don't find Rush's songs that reference religion offensive. And obviously the rest of Rush fans feel the same way. Why do you think that is? Well, um, again, I think it's because they, because Neil never condescends. Um, For example, the song faithless right he's not saying if you're religious you're an idiot i'm smarter than you um you know don't believe anything wow whatever he, he's just saying this is how i feel about about it he uses a lot of poetic imagery you know i would like a you think i'd know the lyrics by heart but he talks about like the desert flower that only blooms at night i will quietly resist and i mean that was his personality he's not going to call attention to himself He's not doing this to be, look at me, I'm better than you. 
he's just saying like, this is my, my spirituality right here. And he, he doesn't, you know, he, he might ask interesting questions. I mean, for example, the song roll the bones, right? A lot of people might hear the the refrain. Why are we here? Because we're here, roll the bones. And and, you know, like I personally don't believe that everything in life is just random happenstance and the universe is created just, you know, out of chaos and there's no reason to existence. I don't think Neil is saying there's no reason to exist. There's no reason for existence, but at the same token, whether, you know, as a religious person, yeah, there's an awful lot of chaos and chance in life. And, you know, you, anybody who's a thinking, feeling human being is going to think about why is there this, you know, why are the little ones born only to suffer for the want of immunity or a bowl of rice? Like, how can you not think about things like that, regardless of your religious bent? And I, I think the biggest reason he's not, you know, religious listeners don't find him offensive is because he's, he's just asking big questions that humanity's been asking, you know, since we had his, the ability to, to formulate conscious thought. If you look at that in the interview with um, Archbishop Tikon, you know, he's got a very similar feeling. I mean, he, you know, one of his favorite songs is free will, right? He grapples with these big questions too. And, you know, I, I think Neil was just able to put them into words much more eloquently than, than most of the rest of us. And, um, you know, he never insulted anybody. None of his songs are insulting to anybody. I think that that appeals to, you know, religious and non-religious alike. Now I'm going to quote my partner, Jerry here. Jerry always says that Neil never told us what to think. His lyrics just made us think. That is excellent. That is perfect. Wow. I wish I uh, could have stolen that from you earlier. Yeah. I wish I remembered saying that. When did I say that, Steve? <laughs> you say that all the time, Jerry. It's smart. It's, it's true. Well, the thing that, I mean, the piggybacking on, I guess, on my own quote there, Steve, thanks. He is saying, he brings everything back to the personal, like, I will choose free will. He's not saying anything about anybody else. I will choose free will. And your part of free will is choosing whatever you want to choose. So in, in that way, it, it does make a lot of sense. It's about religion, but it's not bashing religion because it's not telling anyone else what to do. He's just saying what he would do. Yeah. He, he, he's not, he, you know, the, I would choose free will isn't followed by a line saying, and you're an idiot if you don't, you know, there's none of, there's none of that. So another interesting thing about your survey, Alex, 53.6% of Rush fans are musicians. Now, do you know what percentage of the general population are musicians? How does that compare with just any regular person? I don't. And that's a really good question that I will have to put in a future edition uh, and update. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, you got me, but uh, that's, that's a good point. That seems like a lot, right? Yeah. I would, I would imagine, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, that, that kind of sounds like 53.6, you know, kind of feels accurate. Um, but you know, the stereotype of rush fans is that people are in it because of the music and the chops and most people that listen to rush and prog in general, you could say are musicians. So, you know, that was one question that I was expecting a 70, 30 split. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe that is just like the, the average. I don't know. That's a really, that's a good question. Well, we know a hundred percent of rush fans are air drummers. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. That's, I mean, I think you might even say like 103%, but yeah. At the end of the book, you start quoting long passages from people's surveys. And I have to tell you, I was, I mean, I wasn't surprised, but I certainly was touched by some of the things that people wrote, especially about the pass 
how people really struggle with suicide, you know, contemplating suicide or the suicide of a friend or something like that. And that song really, I don't know, offers, offers comfort to people. Isn't that something for a, for a rock, rock and roll band, right? To be able to right. have that effect on people. I mean, that is, that is, that's a powerful song. I mean, that's, you know, that gets you in the feels every time you hear it. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, no, touching is, is the right word. I mean, I, I wish I could have, I tried to reproduce all the answers in the book, but it would have ended up being like 700 and something pages mm. and just totally unwieldy. And I couldn't get the formatting right anyway. So everything in the book, you know, this is my lawyer hat coming on everything in the book and everything I put on my website. It's I, I made sure to have explicit permission from people. Like, can I share this? What can I share? And the people that said you can share everything. I shared what I thought was appropriate for the book. And, um, you know, what people, when people didn't want things to be shared or didn't want anything shared or didn't want their name attached to it, didn't put the names, but I can count on like two hands, the people that said, don't share right? Like this, this band is just so important. And it's songs like the past and presto came out at a rough time in your life or the first time I heard signals or the, you know, whatever on, you know, people really were enthusiastic to share the stories. And when I was structuring the book, there is, there's a method to my madness. The book starts off kind of, you know, more on like the, the lighthearted side, kind of conversational. And then I get, I, at least I think it gets more, more poignant more, more serious towards the end. And I saved a lot of those you know, in the fans words sections for the later chapters. And, you know, when we're moving away from the, the fan stereotype to the fan connection portion of it. And I mean, I, I, I was just going through these responses and I just, I wanted to share them all. I mean, I, and I just, it seemed more appropriate to just reproduce a lot of them than try to put them in my own words or try to try to squeeze the language otherwise, because this was important to the fans to share with me, you know, who, who am I? I'm just a random, you know, guy who likes to write sci-fi wanting to write a book about Rush. And I mean, that just shows you the, the, how awesome this fan community is that people were just so happy to, to share like what Neil meant to them what the band's music means to them uh, and why. And yeah, yeah, the past, I mean, you know, imagine you're, you're a rock and roll band, you're three guys from Toronto, and you have people years later, decades later, saying your songs help them through rough times. You know, talk about a legacy. Another number I found staggering, Alex, 94.4% of your respondents saw Rush in concert. That's a crazy number. How do you think that compares to fans of other bands? I don't know. I was not expecting that. Um, you know, I, I would imagine it's on the higher end of, of fans who've seen him. You would mention Rolling Stone earlier, Jared, you know, how many Rolling Stone fans have seen them in concert? I, I can't imagine 94% of them. No, I don't, right. I doubt it. Or seen them 25 times or more. I think the average is 12 for amount of times people have seen Rush, you know, and of course the couple of the people that have said like, Oh, I've seen 200 shows kind of skewed the average. Right. You know, you have to take that into account, but it's still like most people of that 94%. I mean, most of them saw them multiple times, which is, yeah, that's unbelievable. I can't think of any, I, I can't think, I mean, maybe, you know, if you're getting into jam band territory, like, you know, fish, the grateful dead, you know, uh, I'm not a jam band guy. So I, I, I'm sorry. I can't pull other, um, you know, jam band names out of a hat, but, 
Um, maybe they approach that or exceed that even. But, um, you know, Rush wasn't the champion, and they had just fanatical live fall, a fanatical live fall. Yeah, no, that was, that, that surprised me too. So more on your survey, Alex. Sure. You get into favorite albums, favorite songs, and I don't think there were any surprises here. I mean, the favorite album was Moving Pictures, 20%, right? Yep. Favorite song, Jerry and I always talk about this. It's always La Villa Strangiato that wins. It, yep, yep. 10.5%. The Spirit of Radio came in second. The thing that jumped out at me, only 1.5% of your respondents chose Tom Sawyer as their favorite song. That, to me, is nuts. Very surprising. Very surprising. Very surprising. I think from that album, like, individually, I, I believe, you know, Red Barchetta and even YYZ were were higher if I remember, um, certainly limelight. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I was, I wasn't expecting that. Um, I thought because that was a lot of people's first exposure to the band. even to this day, a lot of times it's the Tom Sawyer's the first question I heard, I figured that would be the one that most people say, like, that's my favorite. That's my go-to. Um, but then again, maybe I shouldn't be surprised because it's not even my, you know, my favorite rush song. So I don't know. <laughs> I did expect more than 1.5% though. You, I, I'm, I'm with you totally on that. Steve. And then we've got the worst Rush songs, Ty Shan versus Rivendell. And you fall on the Rivendell side, is that correct? Uh, oh, God. I, I will actually not skip Ty Shan sometimes. Like, I always skip Rivendell. Like, unless I just feel very masochistic for whatever reason. But, yeah, I just, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Well, let's, <laughs> A lot is, of people like it. A lot of people like it. I don't know. We've learned that there is no song that everyone dislikes. Somebody likes that song. Somebody likes that album that's on the bottom of your list. It's at the top of their list. The song that you hate the most is the one that, you know, is high on their list. I found that out because I'm always slagging on Ty Shan and I always get emails from people saying, you're not, you're kind of wrong on that, Jared. You should listen to Ty Shan more often. And you're like, I'll pass. And the guy we talked to last week was a big Rivendell fan. Ryan Reed loves Rivendell. Yeah, it's true. Hmm. And uh, so what is your favorite? Do you have a favorite Rush song? I know it's really hard to say, like, definitively, this is the one song above all the others, but what's, what's at the top? You know, might surprise some people. Um, Xanadu is the one that always pops into my head first. I'd say after that, probably Limelight. And then up there lately, and since it came out, is uh, Wish Them Well from Clockwork Angels also. Um, it's one of, my, one of my top favorites, but... Um, yeah, it's it's probably Xanadu, whether it's the studio version or live version. It's just something about that song just like transports me. Very, very, very evocative song, and it, and it rocks. So what would you say is the most surprising thing you learned when writing this book, Alex? What's the most surprising thing? Actually, it was the reactions to Neil's death. Um, you know, that that I wasn't the only one that honestly felt like I lost a close friend. You know, and it was weird because, and I, I mentioned in the book, I actually had two, I had two family members die at the, in early 2020. Um, both, it was from old age, you know, I had a great aunt who was 94 and a great uncle who was 89, you know. So Neil's death didn't feel like that because he wasn't, you know, an actual family member, but it was close and that was kind of strange and I didn't know how I should feel about that. And then when I saw that how many, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and probably more people felt the same way, that was a bit, that was, that was, you know, that was surprising. I mean, the people who said like they, they cried and I, I got it. 
maybe that was surprising too, that I totally, I totally got it. You know, like I'm not much of a crier, but if there was ever a celebrity death, I was going to cry about it would be, it would have been Neil Peart. So it was surprising in a good way to see that was the, the most surprising thing was surprising in a good way was, was to see that, um, just this outpouring of, you know, genuine emotion and, and you know, grief, of course, but at the end of the day, love for this guy who, if you ask me, I think he deserved it. Uh, 100%. Just everything I know about the guy and we all know about him. He just seemed like just such a great guy, you know, and I think his body of work stands, you know, is a testament to that. Yeah. I think people, when they heard the news, they realized that they, they wouldn't have someone to interpret the world for them the way that Neil was able to do. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's tough. <laughs> we got to do it on our own now. Yeah. You know, Jerry and I talked about when Neil died, that it was like a family member died, but in a lot of ways, Neil was just one of us. He was a misfit. He was a dreamer. Like you say, in the title of your book, he had tragedies in life. He helped us get through our tragedies. So it's like a piece of us died with him. Yeah. So a lot of people would, they stated it as saying a piece of like a piece of my childhood. And then almost to without a fault, they said, not that rush is childish. And, and I, I totally understand what they meant because I think it's because most of us kind of get into them when we're younger. Right. So we think, Oh, it's part of my childhood, but it's, I think the way you put it, Steve is more accurate, like a piece, you know, a piece of us. Right. And like, then it's like, why, no, it's just a rock band. What's, why do I feel like this? But then you have to think to yourself, like, at least I thought the way I think I, the way this whole process got me thinking about it was just a rock band. I mean, rock music is still art. It can still be artistic and that's what art does. It touches people's lives. You know, nobody would say, Oh, you know, Michelangelo is just a painter. Right. Why, you know, why do I feel like this about his paintings? Right. Did I just compare Rush to Michelangelo? Yes. I did. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for it, but I think it's that same kind of idea. You know, art does become a piece of your life and yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it, it does feel like that piece is just gone. You know, I, I love the way you ended the book too, Alex. You know, we, we ask a lot of guests about Rush's legacy, but I, but I think you nailed it. You found the answer. The fans are the legacy, right? The fans are the legacy. Yep. Yep, exactly. All the lives that they touched, you know, it's that, that was one of the big commonalities is that the fans too much, you guys mentioned it earlier in, in, in the talk, but the fact, you know, the fans were, you know, just regular people trying to make the best of it, optimistic, you know, not letting tragedy or setbacks drag them down and that they you know, the, the, the comfort and the energy they got from Rush's music, that's what's going to carry the music forward because, you know, we Rush fans, you know, we always like to share it with our kids too. And it's going to resonate, maybe not the same because they can't see them in concert, but still, you know, it's that just the, the fans and the, the lives touched is really at the end of the day, I think more so than all the albums sold and all the concert tickets sold and all the money they made. I think if I could put myself in the heads of, you know, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson. I mean, I, I can, I can only imagine that's going to be the most fulfilling part of, you know, what one, you know, when, when their, their time has come and they're thinking back of what they did with their life, right. They can, you know, that would be, I would imagine the most satisfying part all these people whose lives we touched in a positive way. Right. 
you can touch people's lives in a negative way, but that's certainly not what Rush did. So Alex, the name of the book is Dreamers and Misfits, the definitive book about Rush fans. Tell us where we can get this book. This book is available on Amazon. There's also eBooks available and I haven't looked into other retailers because Amazon is really where it's at. So you can get it there. Just, you know, type in dreamers and misfits and, you know, snag a copy. It's uh, even coming up to Christmas. If you know a rush fan in your life too, they'll, they'll probably get a, get a kick out of it. You know, make them want to go listen to more rush, I guess. Well, we got a kick out of having you here on the rush fan cast, Alex. We really appreciate it. Alex Helene, dreamers and misfits, the definitive book about rush fans. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Thank you gentlemen so much. Thanks a lot. So Jared, that was another fascinating conversation. Yeah, it was. It was a very interesting book to read. Yeah. You know, it's a, it, it had a lot of insights into Rush fans, but also insights by Alex about Rush in general. Yeah, it was great. Really good. So if, uh, if you haven't picked it up yet, head over to Amazon, Dreamers and Misfits, the definitive book about Rush fans. Pick it up. Good Christmas gift for the Rush fan in your life. That's right. You can find us on Twitter, Jer, at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are the TheRushCast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of our interview with Alex Helene. TheRushCast at gmail.com. Thanks, Lex, for the bass intro. And Jer, thanks for the quote. What you got? Well, I'm going to quote from Subdivisions. Good choice. Since Alex seemed to like it so much. Some will sell their dreams for small desires or lose the race to rats. Get caught in ticking traps and start to dream of somewhere to relax their restless flight. Somewhere out of a memory of lighted streets on quiet nights. Very appropriate. Thanks, Jer. It's all right. Thanks, Steve. 